Hi everyone, welcome to Morning Matcha. Today's guest is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and I'm so excited to be here with him today learning all sorts of things about vaccines. Hi. Hey. Thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sharing your time with us and I'm looking forward to just getting to know you a little bit better. So you've been an environmental activist for so long and I'm curious, when did you first start getting into and being part of this um, vaccine safety movement? I had, I, I am the president of Waterkeeper Alliance and I was an attorney, the Hudson River Keeper and further now 350 waterkeepers around the world. Each one has a patrol boat, um, all of them essentially sue polluters. So we're a very litigious organization. And in around 2004, we had losses. We were suing uh, cement kilns and coal burning power plants about mercury emissions. In 2003, FDA had released a study that showed that every freshwater fish in America had dangerous levels of mercury in its flesh. And we were, there were a lot of people suing coal plants at that time where we were specifically suing them on the mercury. Most of the mercury that's in our fish comes from coal plants. And we were also working on legislation to try to ban discharges from mercury and on regulation. So I was, as I did the litigation, I had about 40 suits in litigation. I was uh, touring the country and Canada and talking to, you know, doing speeches, about 250 speeches a year on mercury. And when I spoke to big audiences, particularly, there, there would always be a group of women who would show up and usually sit in the front row. They were very well dressed. And they would come up to me afterward and they were professionals. They were doctors, they were pharmacists, they were scientists and attorneys. And all of them had kids who were brain injured, who were brain damaged. And they would say to me in kind of a very respectful but kind of scolding way, if you really are interested in the exposures of mercury to children, you need to look at vaccines because it dwarfs any other exposure. It wasn't an area that I wanted to get into. My family, you know, I grew up in a family that was deeply involved in mental health issues and issues of um, intellectual disabilities. But I had kind of carved out my own interests and was pursuing those. So I was reluctant to go into that other wheelhouse. But one of these women, um, a psychologist named Sarah Bridges, showed up in the summer of 2005 at my house, my little cottage in Hyannis on Cape Cod. And she had a big stack of studies, of peer-reviewed published studies. And she put them on my front stoop on the porch. And she said, I'm not going to leave here until you read them. And I'm very comfortable reading science. I wanted to be a scientist when I was a kid. And that's kind of led me into becoming an environmental lawyer. I've had, I've had over 500 successful legal actions and virtually all of them involve some kind of scientific controversy. So I'm very comfortable reading science. If I weren't, I would not be very good at my job. 
And so when I started out in reading these, I, um, and I went through, at least I went through the abstracts on all of these studies, and I went, you know, I, I sat down and did it very methodically. And I was struck from the beginning about the, by the huge delta between what I was reading in these peer-reviewed science studies and the differences in what the public health regulators were saying about vaccines. And so then I went to the next step, which is I started calling up the regulators. And my family has deep connections with the public health regulatory community. Um, you know, two of the biggest centers, NIH and HHS, the Kennedy Krieger Center and the Shriver Center, Eunice Shriver Center, um, which is my aunt, mm -hmm. you know, because my family, my, you know, my aunt started Special Olympics. My family has been involved in, in mental health issues and, and health issues. My uncle was Edward Kennedy, was chair of the health committee in the United States Senate for almost 50 years. So I knew these regulators. I had access to them. And I did whatever, I, what I always did when I confronted a new scientific issue, which is if there were things that I didn't understand, I would call up the top guys and they would take my phone calls because of our relationships and because of who I was. Mm -hmm. And I started calling people like Francis Collins, like Kathleen Stratton, who's at the Institute of Medicine, and Marie McCormick, who's at the National Academy of Sciences, and who are the top vaccine people. And I would ask them questions. And then a guy called Paul Offit, who's at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and who's kind of the top guru in the country on vaccines, he's written many books and he's worked for all the vaccine companies and developed vaccines and is the big defender of the vaccine program. And I would call them up and I would question them. And I started talking about, you know, about the obvious dilemma, which was at that time and even today, CDC tells pregnant women not to eat tuna fish because there's mercury in fish. And it's very dangerous for, you know, for in vitro infants to be exposed to it. And yet they were recommending flu shots that had bolus doses of mercury in it. And I said, you know, how can you be doing this? Well, how, how can you justify mm -hmm. that? And they told me something that I knew was not true, which was that there was a good mercury and a bad mercury. Wow. That the mercury in fish was bad, but the mercury in vaccines was good. And I knew at that point these people either don't know what they're talking about because their argument wasn't with me. It was really with the periodic table. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> There's no such thing as good mercury. Yeah, and, and they you said, knew that. And I had, I had a conversation with Paul Offit about it. And he said that, well, the reason ethylmercury in vaccines is not so bad is that it's excreted very quickly from the body. But in fact, I knew then, I had read the science, and I knew then that the science actually said there's a, a series of studies by a guy called Burbacker that were financed by the National Institute of Health in which he actually did experiments to verify that assertion. And they did the experiments with macaque monkeys, and they found that actually the mercury in vaccines goes right to the brain, much worse than the mercury in fish, and that it stays there is much more persistent there. Not only that, but there's other studies out of Italy 
that show that it's about 50 times as toxic as the methylmercury in fish. So it's much worse than the mercury in fish. And I, in particular, when I had this conversation with Paul Offit, I, I caught him lying to me about something he knew about. And it, there was a moment in that conversation when he knew he had been caught lying. Mm-hmm. And I knew, and we both knew that he had been caught. Mm-hmm. And um, and at that point, I was like, wow, these people actually know what they're doing and they're poisoning these kids. And what happened with the vaccine program is that I had three vaccines when I was a kid. But my children had 64 vaccines. And today's children get 72 doses of, you know, 72 doses of, of like 16 vaccines. Mm-hmm. And it changed, the vaccine schedule changed in 1989. The reason it changed was because in 1986, Congress passed and Ronald Reagan signed the Vaccine Act under pressure from these vaccine companies, which give all this money to Congress. They're the biggest lobbyists, they put in twice what oil and gas puts in, so they control Congress. And they had succeeded in getting this act passed that gave them immunity from liability, which is extraordinary. And because the, you know, the Constitution, the Seventh Amendment says, no American should be denied the right to jury trial in cases and controversies exceeding $25. Despite that, you can't sue a vaccine company no matter how badly they injure you. So no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how negligent the company was, no matter how toxic the ingredient, you cannot sue a vaccine company. And um, because of that, when Reagan signed that law, suddenly vaccines became very valuable. And there was a gold rush Mm -hmm. by the four companies that make all of our vaccine to put more vaccines on the schedule because everyone can get on the CDC's recommended schedule is about a billion dollars or more in revenue for that company. So there was a gold rush on CDC and they added all these new vaccines to the schedule. And 1989 was the change here when all these extra vaccines got put on. What we saw is that year was the beginning of a chronic disease epidemic in this Mm -hmm. country. In fact, Congress said to EPA at one point, tell us what year the autism epidemic began. And the EPA came back and said it was 1989. So in my generation, one in 10,000 people in my generation has autism. Mm -hmm. It's virtually unknown. You can't find it. Um, But in my kids' generation, it's one in 34 children. Um, Food allergies, one in 400 in my generation, and one in 10 in my kids' generation. In fact, CD, uh, HHS... Um, did two studies, one in 89, in which which they found that if you were born prior to 1989, prior to the vaccine change, mm-hmm. if you're not part of the vaccine generation, your chance of having a chronic disease is 12.8%. And if you were born after 1989, if you're part of the vaccine generation, your chances of having a chronic disease is 54%. And by chronic disease, I mean the neurodevelopmental diseases, ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, tics, Tourette's syndrome, narcolepsy. 
These are injuries that we never heard of when we were kids. We never knew anybody with them. Even um, diabetes, ASD right? and autism. We didn't know about autism. Nobody knew what autism was when I was a kid. It didn't exist. Um, and then the allergic diseases, rhinitis. Um, if you have vac or vaccinated, you have 30 times the chance of having rhinitis as somebody who's unvaccinated. Um, food allergies, peanut allergies, eczema, asthma, and then the autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, diabetes, lupus, the demyelinating disorders, which are now epidemic in, in your generation. So all of those diseases are now epidemic, and they're diseases that were unknown previously. And the thing that uh, is you know, is very damning for the vaccine companies is that every one of those diseases is listed on their vaccine manufacturers' inserts as side effects of vaccines, every one of them. So, Are they um, changing that at all? They have to put them on because the, the Vaccine Act, you can't sue them for product liability. You can sue the company if they know about a side effect and they fail to put it on there. Okay. vaccine insert so they put it on there to say and the dbt vaccine one of them has autism listed as a side effect wow oh so they know what they're doing but no one looks at the insert nobody nobody looks at them because um, they don't even hand them to you right when you well they don't you know they very very rarely show them any they're accessible to anybody if you look if you pick up your phone and google gardasil vaccine insert you will get it mm-hmm um, but people but don't. People do that. don't look, and it's you know, it's, some of them are are will have seventy or eighty side effects mm -hmm. on them, and nobody really goes through them. When discussing the link between autism and these vaccines, uh, so I have a child who has a mitochondrial dysfunction, and he ha is not able to have a vaccine at all. However, I mean, with what the laws that are happening in California, it's going to be so difficult to figure out what we're going to have to do. But my family is, it's very interesting because my family is like, oh, okay, yes, we understand why my son shouldn't be vaccinated or doctors understand, but then they don't believe in this link at all, or they think that everyone else should still be vaccinated. And I know that vaccines aren't safe. And I personally don't believe that anyone should be vaccinated with the current vaccines that we have. But what the argument is, oh, is our, as far as the spectrum, like everyone likes to say, oh no, there's a spectrum. And the reason why we weren't able to diagnose autism before was because now we're better at diagnosing this. I want to yeah, know. Yeah, we're smarter than everybody yeah. else. Um, <laughs> What's the problem, that? Let me tell you, there's so many problems with that, and there's a lot of science on it. Mm -hmm. And the science actually says, no, there's an epidemic. It didn't exist before. It exists now. Yeah. There's lots of studies, and, you know, they know about them, and they're, you know, they're by... UC Davis, they're by UCLA, you know, there's there there reputable studies that were published in the biggest, you know, the Lancet and and uh, New England Journal of Medicine, et cetera. But the real answer to your question is, if it were not an epidemic, then where are all the sixty-year-old autistics? Mm -hmm. Where are all the men? in football helmets and diapers, stimming, biting, 
screaming, headbanging, walking around in the mall. Mm-hmm. They're not in an institution. There mm-hmm. are no institutions like that. Uh, the answer is they don't exist. Yeah. Because we didn't know about them. And I was raised on the spear tip of the movement for rights for people with intellectual disabilities. My family started Special Olympics. It was called Camp Shriver. And it was it started 15 minutes from my home in McLean, Virginia. It was in my aunt's Unit Shriver's home in Rockville, Maryland. And every Saturday when I was a kid and Sunday, I went to her house and acted as a coach from when I was eight years old. Acting as a coach or a hugger at Special Olympics. And we never saw a kid with autism. We prided ourselves on being able to find activities and competitions for every child, no matter how disabled they were. People who were in a vegetative state, we had a platform where they could push a beanbag off the platform onto the floor and everybody would cheer for them. And so there was no kid that we could not accommodate in Special Olympics, but Today's kids with, with true autism, we couldn't accommodate because the violence, the biting, mm-hmm. the head banging, the you know the the um, the sensitivity so that they can't be touched, um, the sound sensitivities, all of these we never saw anything like that, and it's very well documented in the scientific literature that you know it is an epidemic. The reason CDC and the industry have this propaganda campaign to say, oh, you know, we're just better at diagnosing it, which nobody takes seriously, by the way. Nobody will defend that. No serious scientists will defend that position. But CDC likes to say it because their job is to find out the etiology of every disease. So if there is a measles outbreak, 700 people, they'll send 1,200 you know, forensic scientists out, epidemiologists and virologists in moon suits, and they'll find out exactly where it came from, what, you know, um, what plane and what kibbutz in Israel the, the kid came from over here and how many people he contacted, and they'll, they know exactly what happened to that disease. And that's for two or 300 or 700 people. But there are 80,000 people diagnosed, kids, Americans, diagnosed with autism every year. Mm-hmm. CDC's job is to tell us where that's coming from. They don't want to do it because they know where it's coming from because they've already done the studies and we have them. They didn't publish them. But their own studies show that it's coming from vaccines. You know, they have a study called the First Stratton study where they looked at children who got the hepatitis B vaccine prior to, which is loaded with mercury prior to um, their 30th day of life. And they compare that to tens of thousands of kids who didn't get it. And what they found was that the kids who did get that vaccine on time and within the first 30 days had an 1,135% greater chance of getting an autism diagnosis than kids who didn't. They did that study in 1999. So they knew from 1999 mm-hmm. what was causing the autism epidemic. And they then had a secret meeting, 52 people from the vaccine industry and the regulatory community, and they met. They didn't want to meet at the CDC because they thought 
it would be susceptible to freedom of information requests. So they met at a very remote um, retreat, Methodist retreat center in Simpsonwood, called Simpsonwood, in Norcross, Georgia, on the, the you know, they're hidden on the remote banks of the Chattahoochee River. And they met there for two days to talk about what they should do. And for the first day, they discussed the science, and they all agreed the science was incontrovertible. They were causing the epidemic. The second day, they talked about how to hide it from the American people. And for some weird reason, they recorded it. And I got the transcripts of those recordings, and I published um, excerpts from them in Rolling Stone. And that was kind of the beginning of my involvement in 2005. Wow, I, I'm shocked that Rolling Stone published that. Well, Salon published it too, and then under pressure from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, Salon dropped it, but Rolling Stone refused to. Jan Wenner was very brave, and he withstood all the pressure from pharma to back down, and he stood by the story. That's incredible. So when it comes to herd immunity then, because why, I mean, aside from money, why are they still pushing it? Why do they want to create this epidemic? It's money. Yeah. But they're also, you know, listen, pharma makes $50 billion a year. Prior to the Vaccine Act, they made $270 million a year on vaccines. Now they make $50 billion. So um, they're making $50 billion on the vaccines, but they're making $500 billion on selling the drugs that treat the disease that are caused by the vaccines. Mm-hmm. So they're selling us the $600 EpiPens and the albuterol inhaler. And by the way, we know that food allergies come from the aluminum and the vaccines. In fact, scientists, when they want to induce food allergies in rats, they shoot them up with aluminum from the vaccines. And if you give that rat aluminum and you give them peanut protein at the same time, the rats will now have peanut allergies. And that's why our kids who are dosed from aluminum from day one, if there's a Timothy weed outbreak, they're now at that time in the ambient atmosphere, they're now permanently allergic to Timothy weed. If there's a peanut oil excipient in the vaccine, they're now allergic to peanuts for life. We have this, uh, this, everybody knows where the allergies are coming from. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's going to be honest and actually reads the science, the science is very basic, simple. It's we've known for a hundred years that vaccines can cause food allergies. And, and now we have an epidemic of food allergies. Mm-hmm. So they're selling us the EpiPens. They're selling us the albuterol inhalers and the Advair for asthma. They're selling us the diabetes medicines, uh, seizure medications, and rheumatoid arthritis. And if you look at the 20 biggest blockbuster drugs that those four companies have, they're all targeted to treat diseases that are listed on those same companies' vaccine inserts as vaccine side effects. And, you know, it's weird to me that there's so many Democrats who are saying, well, you can trust vaccines because these companies are honest. Because everybody knows these are the most crooked companies in the world, Pfizer, Glaxo, Sanofi, and and, and Merck. And these four companies, they're, you know, first of all, they brought us the opioid epidemic, right? 
They're, mm. along with their captive regulators, FDA and CDC, which approved the whole thing, which is now killing 56,000 kids a year. Those four companies are serial felons. They have, since 2009, the last 10 years, they've paid $35 billion collectively. Penalties, fines, damages for defrauding regulators, for falsifying signs, for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. Merck's drug, Merck is the biggest vaccine maker, and it had a headache pill called Vioxx that killed 500,000 Americans they, from heart attacks. They knew that it caused heart attacks from their clinical style, and they didn't tell anybody. And they sold it to people saying it was safe, and they knew they were going to kill at least 100,000 people. It killed them anyway. Oh so why do we think that same company is making an MMR vaccine that's safe or that's making Gardasil that's safe or making rotavirus vaccines or chickenpox vaccines that are safe. And they're not. Yeah. They're... And the thing is that not only are vaccines immune from litigation, so there's no incentive to make them better because they can't be sued. No matter mm -hmm. how bad they are, they cannot be sued. And then they're giving us diseases, these chronic diseases that require lifetime treatment. Measles is over in a week. I know. They can't sell anything for that. Yeah. And the cure for measles is vitamin A, and it can't be patented. And chicken pox is a rash. You know, <laughs> so why do we need a vaccine? But, it, but the vaccine gives you shingles for life. And then they can sell us, you know, the, the, the treatments for that. Um, so what do we do now then? I mean, as far as voting goes, you've mentioned the Democrats. Why is this happening to our party and how do it, we you know what vote? it's it's really disturbing to me that democrats seem to have forgotten all of their values you know what happened to my body my choice isn't yeah. that what we've been fighting for for 30 years yeah what about let's listen to women you know there's a million women in this country who are saying i gave a vaccine to my child and he got and i'm and he's never recovered and how are we just dismissing all those women as crazy? And we're supposed to be listening to women and standing up to the bullies. How are we dismissing the constitutional right to jury trial? Our party fought for that for my whole life. Mm -hmm. The constitutional right to freedom of religion, which we're now overruling in mm -hmm. all the states. And, and why are Democrats demanding that the social media sites, Google, you know, Facebook. we know they're huge threats to our democracy. Facebook, Google, that now control all the channels of information. And Adam Schiff wrote them all letters saying they need to censor criticism of a pharmaceutical product. Which, by the way, he's taking money from those companies. The other day. Oh, it's very, very alarming, you know, that the Republicans are right on this issue and the Democrats are wrong. So how do we vote moving forward? Well, do we vote based off well, of this issue? Well, I think people should get involved in politics, and people who are Democrats like me should should act appropriately. Should go to their Democratic legislatures and say, "What the heck are you doing?" You know, people like Henry Stern here in California who ran on a platform that he was going to protect medical freedom and then went and voted against us in the legislature and just, you know, double-crossed and betrayed everybody. 
people need to call him and say, Henry, what are you doing? You know, why are you, you know, why are you not demanding good science? Why all 72 of the vaccines that are now mandated for our children and not a single one of them has ever been tested against a placebo, which means there's no safety profile for any of them. How can you mandate a medical product? Tell people you have to take 72 drugs against your will or you lose your constitutional right to an education. How can you do that, particularly when those are untested medical products? Mm -hmm. It just seems like the Democrats have lost their way. Which is weird to me because then when it goes back to the money thing, are they being threatened? Do they feel that they're going to lose their jobs? Why are Republicans willing to stand up on this issue then? Well, I think the Republicans are see this as a big government issue. Mm -hmm. And the thing is that historically, Republicans have taken money from, you know, defense contractors and from the oil industry, from the chemical companies, et cetera. And the Democrats have not, have refused or at least taken less. Um, But the Democrats have always taken money from pharma Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, because they're fighting for universal health care and they're involved in health, pharmaceutical companies have kind of been, you know, friendly companies to them. And so I think that they fell into a, a vortex of corruption. And it, you know, and now it's become uh, tribalism where it is, you know, it's one of the things that kind of defines you as a Democrat, mm-hmm. that you're going to vaccinate everybody. And it's crazy to me. So in ter- the other day I was um, talking about this on my social media or on Instagram and, and someone said, do you have a good website for me for information? And I said, children's health defense. And I was sending it to them and they censored it. Well, yeah, they, they do. They try to censor us. You can go to our website. Usually you can get access to Children's Health Defense. You can go to my Instagram account, um, which I publish usually three or four days a week. I publish important new developments mm-hmm. on this issue, and I publish new scientific studies as they come out. Everything is science-based. Everything is sourced. And, um, and, then, and those are the two sites that you should go to. Uh, you should go to Children's Health Defense. It's hard to share stuff. Mm-hmm. They won't let you share it on Facebook usually. But you usually can get access to it. And do you think that it's possible for someone to come and create face, um, safe vaccines? For With a, a safe vaccine? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Of course you could. Someone could come in and just... Of course you could, but they don't want to. Yeah. Because why would they? If they, I mean, if they're they're causing injuries and making money off the injuries, they have no reason to make them better, and they can't be sued. So there's no reason to make them safer. But then there are like, are I've heard rumors of these companies like Facebook and Google getting involved in. Yeah, um, Google is now a vaccine company. It's actually making vaccines. It's in. It has a. $770 million um, partnership with uh, Glaxo, 
It has partnerships with Merck, so the two biggest vaccine wow. makers in the world. It's now in partnership with, and it's mining medical information. Um, it's allowed Glaxo to come in, which is this you know huge vaccine maker, to mine medical information from all Google users in order to develop new vaccines and new drugs to market to users in order to also just use your personal medical information to market things to you. Oh, Google is really part of Microsoft, is part of the vaccine industry. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, Google owns uh, Instagram and- Oh, wow. And then YouTube, they're all been compromised now. I had no idea. So. Going back a little bit, I wanted to ask you this question because a lot of people, I think people who believe that their children or other people's children need to be vaccinated or else they don't want their children around them, there's this fear and um, they place this importance on herd immunity. Can you speak a little bit about... Well, yeah, but let me just talk about the first issue. First issue is that if you have a child that's... First of all... If vaccines actually work and your child is vaccinated, then why are you worried about being around an unvaccinated kid? Mm -hmm. First of all, the unvaccinated kid doesn't have diseases. Yeah. And if he does have the disease, he can't give them to your kid because your kid is vaccinated. The So what the industry says is, well, what we're really worried about is immunocompromised kids, children who are so compromised that they can't have a vaccine. And that is a very, very, very tiny cohort for starters. But the real issue is if you look at the protocols by Johns Hopkins and by CDC, et cetera, that have been around for decades about how to safeguard immunocompromised kids, what does it say on those protocols? Does it say in any of them they should avoid unvaccinated kids? No, none of them. Mm-hmm. What it does say is they should avoid vaccinated kids because vaccinated kids spread disease. Mm -hmm. If you get a chickenpox vaccine, you are shedding chickenpox viruses for six weeks. So you are not supposed to be, it says on the label of the chickenpox vaccine, if you get this vaccine, you should avoid immunocompromised children, people, and pregnant women for the next six weeks. Oh, it's not the vaccinated kids who are unvaccinated kids who are a danger to the herd. It's the vaccinated kids. If you've got a flu vaccine, you're shedding flu for 10 days and you're shedding six times the amount of flu virus as somebody who has the flu. So you're more likely to pass the flu and people who are unvaccinated and have the flu. If you have a pertussis vaccine, the pertussis vaccine does not protect you against pertussis. It simply protects you against the symptoms of pertussis. And so you become an asymptomatic carrier and you are spreading that disease for months and even for years. So oh. it's the vaccinated kids who are a danger. If you're worried because you have an immunocompromised child, mm -hmm. You need to keep them away from vaccinated children. And that's not me saying it. That's what, you know, the inserts, all of the yeah. institute, the medical institutions are saying. That makes more, a lot more sense. 
So you are doing so many things behind the scene and you're giving a voice to the voiceless. So I want to hear a little bit about, I mean, last I met you, I, you just gave me so much hope and it made me feel so great that someone's actually doing something. So how can people support what you're doing, your agenda, and what are some of the things that you are doing that people can learn a little bit more about? I mean, what we do... Children's Health Defense is doing grassroots organizing. We synthesize, we have doctors and nurses and scientists working for us on our staff. We synthesize the new science as it's coming out and we put it in a form that it's available to people and it's very solid. So we make sure that there's no inaccuracies and that the science is very accurate, but that it's available for the public. And we put out a, a publication every week called Kennedy News and Views, which has the newest science in it and um, usually articles that are of great interest to people who, you know, have these concerns. We organize the grassroots, so we are active in states across the country in, um, in giving coherence to the movement, to making sure that, you know, um, that people have the right information, that they know when the rallies are, and that um, they show up, and that they're well-informed when they debate, um, and that they have the best and latest information, and that, you know, when we help those, we help local organizations mobilize the parents, the moms, usually. Mm -hmm. And then, most importantly, we do litigation. So we're suing... You know, both were suing in the states where they've passed this very repressive authoritarian um, legislation, the draconian legislation that is attacking medical freedom and forcibly, coercively f forcing people to take medications that they don't want. Is that uh, just in California, New York right now? California, New York. But we're helping people in other states as well. Um, but those are the worst states at the moment. And then, but we also, so that's kind of like slapping the bees because even if we win those cases, the legislatures, which are now controlled by the pharmaceutical industry, can come back and, and repair the damage we do. So we're also going after the hive. We're, we have a series of lawsuits that are, that have, we've figured out ways. You cannot sue these pharmaceutical companies for product liability, but you can sue them for fraud. And every vaccine now on the schedule is the product of massive fraud. And so we are bringing lawsuits based upon what we know about the fraud that was created to get that vaccine mandated for our children. That's incredible. Thank you so much. And so how can people support what you're doing? People should go join up at Children's Health Defense, help us build the army. Talk they about it, get one you? of our bumper stickers, you know, but uh, don't be scared. Mm -hmm. We need people who are brave enough to talk about this issue, you know, to put a bumper sticker on your car um, and then talk about it to everybody you can, even though people react initially with anger, with rage, you know, that they want to, um, it's a very bizarre dynamic. If you talk <laughs> about this issue, people will be angry at you. And you need to be brave and you need to be informed and, you know, and, um, but join Children's Health Defense. 
Even if you can't send us, if you can send us $5 or $10, do that. If you can't, join anyway. We need to build the army. Follow me on Instagram and then, you know, get active. It's it's important to get involved in the in the politics of this. Thank you so much for standing up for so many people. Thank you for airing this when <laughs> nobody else will. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a comment or review and share with your friends. I'm always reading our comments and love hearing from you. So keep in touch and I'll see you next time.